0: Listener discretion advised by the sound contains salty language. So if you don't like that, turn it down. Now. No, now. Like, right now. Okay. Let's start this fucking show. (laughs) It
1: created this, like, kind of housing crisis in Olympia because it was a place where if you had $175 Um, and, like, a, you know, mason jar full of vomit, you could afford to live. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and they would like ran out like a quarter of the porch right? a right. blanket from yeah. your ass.
2: From the Coast Salish land of Seattle, we're By The Sound, your community-invested podcast. I'm Sarah Mays, sitting this week with Chelsea Alvarez and Aisha Hauser. This episode, we'll talk about transformative justice with writer and poet Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samarasinha. This is By The Sound. This episode contains discussion of violence, sexual abuse, and suicide. Listener self care is encouraged. Our in person conversation was recorded in February before Seattle's COVID 19 outbreak and quarantine period began. Our guest today is Leah Lakshmi Piepshna Samarasingha. They identify as a queer, disabled, autistic, non binary, Femme Poet of Burger Thummel, Sri Lankan, and Irish Roma Ascent. Their new book, Beyond Survival, was co-edited with Ajira Stixon. Leah Lakshmi is a Lambda Award-winning author or co-editor of nine books. They were also the lead artist with the groundbreaking disability justice performance collective Sins Invalid, as well as co-founder and co-director of the QTPOC performance tour Mangoes with Chili. Leah Lakshmi, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
2: The new book you co-edited with Jira Dixon, Beyond Survival, is subtitled Strategies and Stories from the Transformative Justice Movement. How would you describe transformative justice for listeners who aren't yet familiar with the term?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I think... I mean, this is actually something we've come up with. My definition of transformative justice, which is not everybody's, is um, that it's any way of creating safety, justice, and or healing um, by and for survivors of violence and abuse that doesn't rely on the state. So by the state, I mean like the cops, the courts, prisons, um, children's aid, like things like that. and. I mean, it's kind of like, so some things I want to say about that are like, first of all, it's really important for me to say that this, the term's relatively new, like the term started getting thrown around in the past 10 or 15 years, but this is not a new thing. Like yeah. this is, I mean, you know, I, I could give you my whole Ted talk on like, as we know before colonization, you know, and still, if you go to, you know, the six nations reserve, like the Mohawk clan mother law is not like, let's bring in the courts and the judge and they'll tell you you weren't really raped and you know, nothing happens. It's like, it's like, you know, we in our communities have been dealing with violence and abuse without the police for a really long time. So that's a good that's a good thing to keep in mind that this is not stuff that that's that's new. And Jerris's um, first piece in the book that opens the book um, starts with a really beautiful story when they're talking to their mom, being like, "Hey, when you were growing up in Louisiana, did you call the cops when something happened?" And their mom was like, "No, I never remember that." And You know, they go on to talk about, yeah, so when we, my mom was growing up in Louisiana, like the cops were the white citizens council, like they still are, you know, like, but they really were and they were like, you know, and then their mom tells a story about, yeah, you know, if there was domestic violence going on, you know, sometimes we would get some of the quote unquote big guys in the community to go and talk to the husband and be like, you can't do that anymore. You know, that's just one example. And for me, you know, the example when people are like, How'd you get into this movement? I'm like, Wow, like you think it's like an organization with like office chairs somewhere. It's really not. Um, it's just anywhere there's like a bunch of bitches or one bitch trying to survive, right? Without the cops, the courts. And for my entry point, I mean, I think like a lot of people who now, weirdly enough, are seen as leaders in the movement. Like, I, you know, Miriam Kaba, who we interviewed in the book, she's just like, yeah, I just kind of got brought into it because somebody who I was friends with had a situation right. and didn't want to call the cops and was like, you seem to have some sense, help me figure it out. And that was my thing. Like, my situation, though, was that I wasn't called in to help somebody else. I was in a relationship with someone who was my lover when I was 21 who we were both young, brown, queer, non-binary, um, you know, poor working class. And my partner had already been involved in the prison system and our relationship, like we were two young revolutionaries in love and we were both survivors. And then my partner got physically violent with me and was also my immigration sponsor in Canada and, 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 and was also saying things like, if you call the cops on me, I will go, sorry, trigger warning for description of violence that didn't happen. Like, you know, they straight up were like, I will take you down to the police precinct, I will shoot as many cops as possible, I will shoot you, and then I will shoot myself. So, you know, it's it's real, right? Like these are real things we're dealing with. So I have the nice, you know algebraic equation of, like, how do I keep myself alive? I can't call the cops. I also knew that even if that threat wasn't there, you know, we were just living in, like, a fucked-up apartment building, and when we were in, you know, loud arguments in our one-room apartment, like, the neighbors would call the cops or whatever. And literally, like, the one time – there's one time the cops showed up where the first thing they asked me was, like, where's your papers, right? And then they were like, oh, you already did time to my partner. And then they were going to, like, take both of us in, right? And, like, I think – we're already doing these experiments and survival outside the system because, like, literally for so many, you know, sex workers, like black and brown women, queer and trans people, et cetera, like, when we have tried to use the system, at best, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And at worst, things happen, like, you know, um, one thing that was, that is still going on um, with the attempted merger of all systems of surveillance is that, um, but I'll talk about this thing in particular. In the mid like 2000s two, in the Bay, there was a thing called SCOM, Safer Communities, where they were like, "Cool, we're going to merge like ICE with the police in terms of databases." So what was happening was that like a lot of people who were experiencing intimate partner violence were calling 911 or having 911 called on them, and then if they were immigrants, the cops when they showed up would have their immigration history, and if they were undocumented or if they were just you know in the place that so many people are, where it's like, oh. You know, I mean, we all know immigration fucks up all the time. It was like, oh, something looks weird on your file. They ended up getting deported, right? Like, they did not get safety. They got deported. this was
0: under Obama. And this was under Obama.
1: It was under Obama. It was in San Francisco. It was in a sanctuary city, right? Jumping back, like, so for me, yeah, I got involved with transformative justice because I needed to survive. And, you know, what it looked like was I was like, I can't go to the cops, the courts, and I'm this really young survivor. So... I survived that relationship, and when I got a little bit out, I then, you know, it's like nobody goes anywhere. I mean, that's why some of us are like, oh, the criminal legal system, maybe it'll help, because, you know, my partner's still in Toronto. My ex-partner's still in Toronto, and we were in very overlapping, like, young, black and brown, like, POC, anti-police brutality activist communities. So, I had to deal with this ass for 10 years, and Mm. so, for me, What TJ was, was like my femme friends of color. Like, and I tell the story a lot. I'm like, we didn't call it a safety team. We didn't call it community accountability. But every time we went out, they would go into like the club space, the party, the event. They would walk all around to see if he was in there. And then they would come out and they would be like, okay, he's there. Mm -hmm. Do you want us to go talk to him and tell him to back off? Do you want to leave and go someplace else? What do you want to do? And often he would end up leaving because he was like, oh, shit, she's got people with her. I don't want to deal with these crazy bitches. And that's TJ.
2: So each time you mention uh, T.J., I start to think, uh, uh, "Who's T.J.?" and right. and 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 he did domestic violence. Uh, so you, <laughs> we're, we're talking about uh, yeah. transformative justice. Yeah. And um, can you, uh, for folks who are new to the terms, perhaps, or maybe have only heard of restorative justice? What is the distinction there? What are they? Right. What's the difference in what they look like?
1: Right. So restorative justice um, is a term that describes kind of an umbrella of practices that started being experimented with, I would say 23 years ago, that was basically, you know, if you've, especially if you've done work in schools, it's basically like alternatives to calling the cops on young people. It's like, okay, so a young person steals some candy, they bring it back and they apologize. You know, a young person, you know, writes graffiti on a wall, they like paint it over, like there's conflict in a school, the two people sit down together and they have a peace circle. And it's not, there's nothing that's wrong with it, but like transformative justice kind of came up as a term partially because people were like, well, what are we restoring? Like, if we're restoring it back to, like, something that was fucked up to begin with, that's not actually helping, right? So transformative justice comes more out of, like, the feminist of color slash sex worker slash queer and trans, you know, social justice tradition of, like, okay, if we're actually going to create um, ways of dealing with violence, harm, and abuse that aren't the cops, um, we can't just... I don't know, we, we we have to transform the conditions that gave birth to the violence in the first place. You know, um, You know, like TJ is sex workers using bad date lists, you know, which is criminalized under SESTA-FASTA, but which sex workers have been doing for years. Um, with Ching Chen and Jai Dulani, um, I co-edited a zine that became a book called The Revolution Starts at Home. One of the interviews we had in there was with um, a couple of people who were sex work organizers, one of whom is Miss Major, you know, who's um, black trans woman, was at Stonewall, incredible activists, and, you know, former street sex worker. And they were like, okay, so what did, you know, back in the day in the 60s, what was your experience? And she's like, well, we would just, you know... As street-involved trans women of color doing sex work, we would put bricks in our purses, you know, and we would, and when we and we would work together, and we saw when we saw a client was getting violent, we would all run up on him, and and then it was on. And like I remember, you know, sometimes when we would be when we were touring Rev at home, I would you know share that story, and there would be gasps, and I was like, yeah, like it doesn't mean you have to like beat someone to death, but I'm just saying, like this is not an academic exercise. I think that sometimes with TJ, I think more recently there's been times where people go, oh, well, this is just some academic thing. You just have this abstract I'm against prisons thing. And I'm like, I'm sure some people do, but everyone I know who's involved in transformative justice created all of these different strategies, which are everything from – I you know we beat up this trick who was being violent with these bricks in our purses to bad date lists to I walked with my friend to I was at the bus station and there was a guy hassling someone and I said hey can you shut the fuck up you know to creating these like big circles trying to hold someone in a community accountable who'd rape somebody else for years and to get them to change their root behavior there's like a million ways to enter into this work and the too long didn't read is like this has been around for forever you know we it's been around as for as long as there's been violence or abuse and there's been like racist, sexist, transphobic, homophobic, horror police. police.
0: Uh, what I've been working on or with is restorative justice. Right. But, so I'm loving. Thank you for a, your activism B, thank you. uh, the frame because it is, uh, because I think what, when I've, I have spoken to police and I'll say I'm a prison abolitionist. And I'm right. like, well, what do you do with when right. someone does something wrong? Right. And I'm like, caging humans like right. we don't like to see animals in cage like right. dogs and cats why is putting a human in a cage our only place we, we lack imagination right. right right so what you're speaking to is just expanding our imaginations of how we can um respond to stopping harm mm-hmm. and then uh, and then mitigating and having community support
1: right no totally And it's like stopping harm i would say also preventing harm yeah right yeah. because like I mean, I think uh, the, that's such a good point because like there is that point where people go, what about the rapists? What about the murderers? And it's like, totally, and it is really hard when you're thinking about like prisons and police as the only solution but to be like, also, what do we replace in that slot? And it's like, you can't replace something in the slot. You have to create an entire yes. new terrarium, which is like prevention, which is like intervention early, which is like building communities where people actually know the skills to intervene and de-escalate. Right. Yeah, Chelsea. But also, how many yeah.
3: people do you know whose rapist went to prison? Well,
1: I mean, and that's something okay. like at the Seattle right like I mean something I do a lot which I learned from an organization I used to work with was it's like okay so who here is either a childhood sexual abuse survivor or somebody who knows somebody who is and the whole room's hands goes up and I go okay so who here had a really great experience with CPS yeah. right? and it's never anybody and yep. it's like right and like as I'm a CSA survivor and like You know, something my parents were not wrong about was they were like, you don't tell anybody shit because my mother even was like, as bad as it is here, you want to go to foster care? And I was like, no, I don't. I will take the devil I know. Thank you very much. Janae Bonsu from BYP 100 has this quote that we've been using where she's like, you know, we're building the plane as we fly it. Like, and this is the thing is like, people were like, and especially when it comes to rape and abuse, people were like, okay, I know prisons and CPS don't work, but like, what do you have that actually works? And I think the thing with TJ is that in its modern iteration, which I would say, I would name in North America, starting in the late 90s to now, um, bailed to alpha of the work of people like Insight, Women Against, Women of Color Against Violence, like lots of other groups, restorative justice practices, which, like a big critique of them, besides the fact that they rip off indigenous practices, because that's how they started, is that it's like, for maybe, It's like, what are we restoring it back to? Like, even if it's something like, oh, you know, you graffitied a wall, so you've got to paint it over. I'm like, what's wrong with graffiti? And then when it comes to rape or sexual violence, it's like actually so much RJ processes don't always have room to talk about survivorhood. It's like, well, the victim and the perpetrator sit in a circle, and it's like, I don't want to sit with my rapist, right? and the idea with tj i mean i want to say with restorative justice practices especially yeah. the ones that work with youth i think of it as harm reduction like if it's yeah. anything it's definitely embedded within a legal system if it helps young people of color not go to youth lockup right. great that's right. better than nothing and i would say restorative justice scaled and it's much more it, it's much more a thing that can live with some interactions with the state within systems but and a lot of this is word salad. Like, I'm just like TJ, CA, RJ, whatever. I like to be like non-state solutions, right, or community-based solutions because people understand that. Yeah. But with transformative justice, when that language started coming up, it was like actually in response to cri- – it was out of criticisms of restorative justice where people started being like, we can't just restore exactly that. We cannot restore it back to what was fucked up before. We have to transform the root causes. Now, the thing with that is like that's a lot harder. Like And yeah. I'll talk more about that. But like that's what – I think where a lot of people are stuck now is they're like, oh, So transformative justice means, like, if somebody rapes me, they're not only going to stop the raping and apologize, but they're going to completely transform what led to them to rape in the first place. And that is a plane we are building that is really fucking hard to do. But some people are doing it. I can talk more about that in a second. I feel like there's hands.
3: Queer communities have had to develop these practices because— right. We don't have somewhere else to go. And now, like, you're trying to explain this to straight people.
1: Who (laughs) are like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, you have to see your ex? All the time. Your ex works at the Rape Crisis Center. (laughs) Exactly.
3: (laughs) Exactly. And, like, there's a language barrier. And there's, Mm -hmm. like, there's a lack of imagination and, like, creative thinking. Right in a community that like feels supported by the state and seen by the state and recognized by the state and don't actually have community to speak of because they are like the ur culture.
1: Totally. Yeah. No, I mean like that's what straightness takes away from people. Yeah. You know, and I would say like totally. And also like, I think there's examples of like straight black and brown folks who are like, Oh yeah. Like who it's a little different where they're like, we can't have five Oh come up in here. We have to figure something else out for sure. But yeah, I mean that what you said makes me think about um Allied Media Conference, which is this um, Mm. gathering in Detroit that I was a part of for a really long time, one of their principles that was really rooted out of like Detroit, you know, as being a place that's been so stripped of like capitalism, right? Like Grace Lee Boggs was like, this is one of the places where capitalism ended, so this is where we're going to create what comes afterwards. They were like, yeah, we focus on solutions people are creating in spaces of economic and physical scarcity because if it can work in a place, I mean, people who were there were like, yeah, like Detroit didn't used to have a supermarket market for a long time if there's something that we've created that can work here it can work anywhere and I think that's a real flip because you know like the kind of like straight white cis money point of view is like oh there's no like they don't see the riches in you know oppressed communities they're just like oh you don't have privilege you must have nothing (laughs) You know, and it's like, no, actually, like, yeah, we're in these conditions, like what you said about like queer and trans communities that are small, or like even smaller, like queer and trans people of color communities, queer and trans POC disability communities, where you're like, yo, we really, there's not that, I mean, there are a lot of us, but we have to see each other. It's hard, but it has... The plus side is it has forced us because we have no choice to be like, what do we do? Yeah. You know, not, not that it's not messy, but it's like, what do we do?
3: Yeah, that creativity. Uh, that actually brings to mind me our our mutual mm-hmm. friend, Katie Tastrom. Uh-huh. She just gave a talk in uh, upstate New York titled uh, Disabled People Are Better at Sex. Yeah. Coming it's, it's from... <laughs>
1: And that's real. Anytime you talk about disability, like you know, able people are like, "No, you're not good at anything. You should be dead." What do you mean, literally? Right. And then they're just like, and then I'm sure they were, the people were listening, were like, "You have sex, right? It's good. Yeah. What? yeah. Okay, but continue, please." Oh, I
3: I don't even yeah. know where to go to that with that. Like, yeah. I just I got to see a little bit of her notes before she um, gave the talk, and like, it's essentially saying that like when you have to think about your body more right. and think about like right. Uh, how your body engages with other bodies. Um, I'm just sort of seeing the connection here between like TJ and disabled sex. But yeah, like, yeah. when you, when yeah. you have to think about these things, you start coming up with solutions and right. like, um, modes of thinking that right. can then like expand and like, uh, are like the gift to the world yeah. of like the, of
1: totally. being marginalized. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I, I love that link. And I'm like, yeah, something I'm sure Katie talked about but that I would have had here is, like, you know, for me as a disabled, like, queer person of color having sex, I'm like, and something I see in a lot of disabled people who are being sexual is, like, we also we really don't assume that there's any one way sex has to be right. Like it's like penis and vagina is like, yeah, what the fuck is that? You know, like it's, I've had disabled friends who are like, yeah, someone can touch my armpit for three minutes and that's sex. And yeah. like, that's really liberating. Mm-hmm. And like, it's one of those gifts that I'm like, God, I wish able people cause you know, most people are miserable about sex. They're just like, Oh God, it has to be this way. And this way sucks. And, but there's nothing else. And it's like, no, you can do whatever. Right. And like, similarly with TJ, um, you know to me it's ever, like i can think of examples that you know real quick like building on what i said already like i think about um the Safer Neighborhoods campaign which Ageris was one of the main organizers with when Ageris was working at Audrey Lorde Project which is a queer and trans people of color community center in Brooklyn and that came out of um, you know in central Brooklyn in the mid 20 aughts there was a series of really brutal murders of black gay men going home from the club like mm-hmm. really really bad mm-hmm. and there was a lot of like you know violence that queer and trans people of color were facing in the neighborhood so people at Safer Neighborhoods campaign were like okay we can't use the cops the cops don't come to this neighborhood but like who already responded? violence without mm. the police who's openly oh the bodega owners and the drug dealers right, right? so they went yep. and they talked to the bodega owners and cafe owners and were like if you see someone who's queer and trans who's being hassled would you create a safe space like you know they got to know people on the block and they were like can you intervene because the bodega owners already have a fucking baseball bat yeah, behind right, the counter right. and Adaris tells this story a lot where she was like yeah like I talked to this one woman at the bodega she wasn't sure she knew she wasn't sure how like what she felt about gay people but she was like okay and then the next time I saw her, she was like, oh Jared saw her, she was like, yeah, I, I did it, but I wasn't sure if it was a queer person. It was this like woman who was being hassled by a guy. But I brought her inside, I locked the door, I gave her some tea and a pastry, I called her mom, and I just like sat with her until I had a place she had a place to go. And she's like, did I do it right? And she was just like, yeah, yeah I can cry. <laughs> right, and so that's yes. thing, too. So I think, like, oh. building off of that, yeah. like, yes. well, what do we do without prisons? I'm like, you can just lock the door of your building yeah. and give someone a muffin and yeah. sit with her. And, like, that's, it's not replacing prisons, except that it is, right? Right. So, like, that's an example of, like, intervening in stranger violence. And then I think what some people in some social justice communities think of when they think of TJ is, like, my friend grabbed my other friend's ass at the queer party. We have to sit in a circle till our heads explode and try and transform. (laughs) And, like, that is – I'm being facetious. But, like, that's one way of doing it. I mean, are you being facetious? I'm I'm kind of being real, Um, you know. And one thing, like, just segueing into the book is that – I'm jumping all over the place a little bit, but, like, I – you know, there has been this movement, there's been different organizations and also a lot of like individuals and collectives that have been doing this stuff for a while. And specifically for Seattle, mm. I mean, one of our goals with this book is we are like, there's all this shit that's from the MySpace generation that's completely getting lost. Mm. Like, so with Seattle, like, I mean, this place has such a huge history when it comes to a recent history, when it comes to transformative justice. Um, I don't know if folks have heard of CARA, Communities Against Rape and Abuse, um, that they're in King Vashti Prasad started, who's still here. Um, but, like, that was – that's an, if you read Insights Anthology, The Revolution Will Not Be Funded, which is their anti-nonprofit industrial <laughs> complex book, like, Kara got really real. They were like, yeah, so there used to be the Seattle Rape Crisis Center, and it was all white ladies. It was all white cis ladies. And then after a while, if you volunteered, they were like, you can't speak about your survivor experience, and everyone had to have an MSW. And then it lost its city funding because of mismanagement. So there was a city block brand that was open. And then black and brown feminists like um, Zandra Ibarra, Alicia Beira, Theron, a bunch of people um, – Um, went for that money and got it. And they started a black and brown feminist, abolitionist, you know, in a like rape crisis center that was Kara. And Mm. they did TJ practices in 2003. Wow. And they were just like, yeah, we had, I mean, I can say this because it's on record. They were like, yeah, we had a, I think they were like, there's a thin line between hustling the system and being hustled by it. But they're like, yeah, we had one set of materials we showed to the city for our grant and we never actually used those, (laughs) you know, but (laughs) they're like community engagement. Um, So there's them. There's the Northwest Network, which is still around. And they actually did really – like, the stuff that a lot of people in Seattle know about now, which is, like, their healthy relationships courses, that came out of, like, community accountability and transformative justice being really hot. And then they were like, wait, we don't have enough skills or actual community to do this well. We want to focus on actually, like, looking at this aspect of it, which is TJ2, which is like, whoa, there's so many queer and trans people who – we have no healthy relationship models. Mm -hmm. And, like, we're, like – you know, thirsty and desperate and in scarcity, and then we get in this relationship, and then things go sideways, and we don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So why don't we create create spaces where A, people can learn relationship skills? B, they had a program called Friends Are Reaching Out, Far Out, it was so cute, (laughs) where they were like, yeah, so what happens? What's a condition that feels abusive relationships in queer and trans communities? You get with a partner, you go in love jail, which I'm like, right, we're even calling it that, where you stop talking to all your friends. Mm -hmm. And then it's been six months, and then things start going sideways, and you're like, I feel awkward reaching out to my friends I've been a bad friend so then stuff escalates they were like what if we created a space for people to really practice like hey I haven't forgotten about you like let's reach out like let's like don't leave your friends behind yeah um I think about Billy Rain, who, you know, my friend, who was such an amazing, like, Arab, North African, queer, disabled force of nature here for decades, who did so much stuff around the intersections of disability and transformative justice, Mm. and worked so fucking hard. Um, Kiyomi Fujikawa, who's still around, but was really involved in, God, I'm blanking on the collective name, but it was, like, this really dope, like, queer punk like tj collector that was doing interventions Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of stuff that's from here you know there's a lot of stuff that's been going on here for a while and it's a lot of different aspects of like is it stranger violence is it relationship skills is it like learning how to like sit with your friends and be like hey are things really okay in your relationship like is it like looking at childhood sexual abuse is it looking at abuse in the foster care system um and then can i say one more thing I, i know i can model it but like I guess I want to segue a little bit into, like, why the book, which comes direct, why this book, Why Now?, which comes out of, like, What is TJ?, which is that, like – I mean, like, why the book, Why Now?, is a lot of things. But one of them was we were like, okay, this is kind of a movement at, like, either midlife or adolescence. I can't tell. But we were like, it's been 20 years. Yeah. And when I started doing this stuff, and even early on, I was like, no, but people would be like, what? Like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. You need the police. Like, what? And sometimes, you know, in my, when I was leaving my relationship, like, I had friends in, you know, queer POC community who were like, well, is it really that bad? I mean, things get complicated, which is not uncommon. Right. And still isn't. No. And so now, like, I kind of looked up four years ago at like kind of like one of the peaks of BLM being in the media, and there was this article. And you know, one of Black Lives Matter's like biggest things has been being like the prisons and the police oh, and the da-da-da. Yeah. And so there was an article in Rolling Stone called Police Things a Dirty Job, but nobody has to do it. Ten alternatives to calling the cops. <gasps> and I was like, this is in Rolling Stone? Like we went from being these crazy bitches with little zines to like this is in the mainstream. Like abolition kind of crossed over. Like a lot of people are like, oh, okay, I've heard Angela Davis said a thing. This is cool. Yeah. But then what started happening at the same time was I would say memes that, like, there was one that was going around that was like, strong communities make the police obsolete. And, like, I was like, yeah, cool story, bro, but, like, what communities and, like, how? And then I would see people being like, what is TJ? And some people would be like, oh, it's just so wonderful because we don't dispose of people. We don't throw anyone away, and we just love each other. And then sometimes the people asking the question would be like, yeah, but how? And, like, you mean my fucked up Uncle Ricky? Like, I want to throw him away. And it would be like, no, no, you have to hold him with love. And I was like, okay, as an old bitch who's been doing this for a while, I really – I was like, yes, strong communities make the police obsolete," but actually – that 's like a cute little like catchphrase, most of us don 't really have a strong community, even if we do, we often feel embarrassed about reaching out to them yeah. if shit once goes sideways with Uncle Ricky or our girlfriend or whoever the fuck, you know sometimes our community is Uncle Ricky or the fucked up girlfriend, you know, and we also we, I, and so and that was something that me and the jurors talked about a lot was we were like this is getting popular, but a lot of the nuance and the specificity is getting lost, and we were both really worried about like we don 't want to try and sell people. We're not going to do anyone any favors by selling people a bill of goods. of Like, oh, it's just simple to throw out the police. And we wanted to be like, there are people who have been in the trenches for a long time actually learning this shit by doing it and fucking up and doing it again. So, you know, in the book, like, we have stories of, like, here's processes that worked. Here's different things. Like, there's a lot of – there's more pieces than – um, we're in Revan Home when it came out that are about, like, what to do if you've been called out for being abusive. Mm. You know, Kai Cheng Tom is a really good piece where she's like, here's 11 things, you mm. know? Um, like BYP 100, you know, which is the BLM movement for black lives, youth Like group in Chicago have a piece where they talk about, yeah, one of our members got called out for rape and here's how we actually held mm-hmm. it. And, you know, we actually, there were consequences for him. Like we didn't throw him away, but we also were like, Hey, you're not going to come to the meetings with the people you heard for a while. And here's, we're going to hook you up with like some other people, including other men who can sit with you and be like, okay, like this isn't going to happen again. Um, but we also expanded it because we were like, that's TJ. But also TJ is – we have a bunch of stuff that's like um, – there's a piece from Oakland Power Projects that's kind of like – it's called Maybe You Don't Have to Call nine one one Know Your Options. And mm. it came out of a lot of organizing like People's Medics, which is um, you know two black women from East Oakland who were like – they started training people in basic paramedic skills because they were like, people get shot here and the cops just don't show up and the ambulance doesn't show up. And OPP kind of expanded on that. And they were like, yeah, so a lot of people call 911 when someone's having an emotional crisis or a mental health crisis and they don't know them. Someone's screaming in the middle of the street, they don't know what to do. But there's just have a toolkit where they're like, maybe you just go up, you identify yourself, you go, hey, how can I help you? You check your idea of what normalcy is. You try and de-escalate the situation. Like one of the biggest threats is if someone else who's there is some yuppie who's like, calling the cop, and you go, yeah. hey, maybe we don't have to do that. You know, You check in with what the person needs. There's stuff in there around like oh you know like overdose you know like reversal and things like that yeah. um You know, Elena Rose really, really amazing, um, like, organizer and activist and current ED of Trans Lifeline. Like, she has a whole piece in there, or Trans Lifeline does, where she talks about, like, Trans Lifeline, which is a national um, hotline for trans and gender nonconforming people who are suicidal or experience emotional crisis. They're like, yeah, we're the only suicide hotline in North America that will not call 911 on you Mm -hmm. and emergency services without your consent. Because they're like, we knew as trans people, and we also did a poll, that, like, we would Call a hotline if we thought the cops were going to show up. And they were like, we're actually saving trans lives as trans people who've experienced emotional. Um, crisis, who are the peer counselors by being like, yeah, no, this is actually like, we'll call emergency services if you want us to, but it's not automatic. And they're like, we actually have more people calling us for that reason and being safe. That's TJ, right? Yeah. Like that's preventing harm happening when the cops show up. And as we've seen with Charlene Lyles and like a lot of other people in our community, like, you know, you can call what, you can have the cops called on you for emotional crisis. Renee Davis, who is a yeah. member of the Muscle Nation, mm-hmm. her boyfriend was like, oh, she's suicidal, I'm going to call 911. They shot her to death. Yeah. right like it prevents that anyway i've kind of rambled for a minute but like
0: basically we were like we wanted to have like
1: here's a million things that we can do that are not the police or prisons
0: i think part of what's wrong in this country
1: yeah all of it
0: all (laughs) All of it well it's so fucking punitive like this country's all about fucking revenge it's about it's almost like we've never fucking stopped fighting the revolutionary fucking war like we haven't um and, and this whole, like, dominance, and, and yes, it's rooted in, frankly, the Catholic Church, and one of the stories I tell Ooh. when I do workshops on race and people talk about tone and bullshit, I'm like, okay, Christopher Columbus wrote about how kind and generous and wonderful the natives he encountered were, <laughs> and he fucking slaughtered them anyway, so I don't want to hear bullshit that there's some nice way to talk to oppressors right so mm-hmm. so the the domination the violent extractive capitalism mm-hmm. the using people as commodity has been is in the dna and then there's this punitive punishing you're not doing what i want right. that just is why people can't expand their imagination right. past you need to be fucking annihilated right you need to get put in the stocks
1: Totally. I grew up in Massachusetts. We went to Plymouth. Hello. There's literally stocks there. There's literally stocks. You you can can take your picture. With the kids when you put the head in the the stocks. Yeah. 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 And it's like, and it's, yeah, I totally agree with you. And it's complicated because like, I was just at a training where one person, it was really cool because like, it's like, yeah, like I think TJ, you know, was partly has created out of people being like, yeah, like punishment doesn't actually work, you know? And it comes from this like white Christian settler colonial bullshit, bullshit. And then at the same time, you know, like it's like the person I was thinking about who's the training was like, I'm not an angel. I'm a messy person who wants vengeance. And I was like, yeah, no, like, because I think sometimes with TJ land, there's been a thing of like, oh, we can't feel angry. You know, we can't have hard feelings against this person. And like, you know, there was one process I was in where, you know, it had been a minute and then I just kind of snapped and I was like wait, you know, I was talking to the person, the survivor's partner, who's Italian. I was like, do you have people in the mafia? I'm sorry, I know that's fucked up, but like, do you though? We call, And they are like, do you want us to call in the mafia? And I was like, yeah, let's call in the mafia. And they are like, do you want to be unhocked to the mafia for the rest of your life? And I was like, I, I don't have mafia. Ma- no, I don't. But like, I just was like, I, I don't know. The mafia might be more effective than, like, it, it might be more fast than DJ has yeah. proven to be. And I think there is a way that I want us to make room for like, People's real feelings of, like, anger and, like, I want to fuck you up. And I've seen people just kind of be like, no, fuck this. Let's just have a girl gang because, like, A, it's a cool fantasy, and B, it'll have impact, you can see. I mean, the thing that happens when you actually – I got to say that when you actually take violence into your own hands is you're like, oh, this isn't like the movies. You know, like, I – it's a longer story, but I had a friend once, like, during a period when I was in the Bay, where some people were really – like, they'd watched the film Born in Flames, like, 48 times. And they were like, yeah, Women's Army. Ugh. And, you know, they really wanted to girl gang up. And my friend was like, yo, I had a friend who was murdered in Mexico. And the cops were corrupt. Like, we couldn't get justice. So some of my friends knew who did it. And they went and they, like – beat the shit out of those people and kinda of tortured them and they're like, you know, that had an impact, but like those friends still have nightmares. Yeah. They're like, it's not, it's not simple. Like yeah. that's the thing is like I don't like when I'm when you look at like some people who are like kind of like I don't want to say a word that's not pioneers. Like grandmothers of TJ, like, you know, like, like I'm thinking about um, Ubuntu, that was a collective in North Carolina that came out of the Duke University lacrosse rape trial. You know, they have these principles and one of them is like, yeah, no violence, like you, no matter how much you want to beat up who did it, like you have to stop. And it's not out of like, you know, reifying nonviolence, but it's more about like, yeah, you know, if we do that, it's not like, oh, you're part of the problem, but it's more like... You know, it's You'll cause yourself harm. You'll cause yourself harm, and also those
0: white guys will call the cops on you. So, right. You could be angry. I mean, my thing is exactly right. Anger's great. Anger's great. Break a dish. Punch, you know, the ground. I don't know. Don't punch the ground. You'll break your hand. But, like, you know, (laughs) do something that absolutely... Because we need to... We must feel our feelings. No one's telling you not to feel your feelings. And the part about um, the, the story you told about Mexico, I imagine that the folks thought it was a good idea to get revenge and torture someone but then you live with that right?
1: yeah and i think they were they were grieving
0: yeah. you know they were just like
1: devastated oh no
0: absolutely right I mean, it t- I mean listen i have two kids right right fucking i can imagine myself god forbid something happened either of them like wanting to personally torture right. someone who caused them physical harm and right. yeah i would imagine also you know years later i would be holding that i also now harmed another human being so right. it is complex and yeah be angry have feelings we don't expand our imagination enough in this country. And that's what I appreciate about what I'm hearing you talk about. And we need to just expand our imagination past pain and harm and, and violent extractive capitalism. Yeah.
1: Let me know when it happens.
3: Sarah. Chelsea? When you say that By The Sound is a community-invested podcast, what does that mean for our listeners?
2: Ah, glad you asked. It means that in addition to hearing our conversations about local issues and interviews with our most interesting Seattle area neighbors, fans of the show can join our listener community online by supporting the podcast on Patreon. Doing so will unlock access to our private Facebook group.
3: What are we posting in the Facebook group?
2: (laughs) Well, in addition to exclusive previews about what we'll be discussing on the show, we offer a curated stream of the best and most provocative local news stories each day. That's dope. How much will it cost to join? Our online community membership is available to all patrons starting at $5 per month.
3: How else can fans of the show invest in this community?
2: Our supporters on Patreon, who contribute $10 or more per month, will receive exclusive invitations to buy the sound meetups at Seattle area coffee shops, bars, and parks, where they could meet by the sound co-hosts, guests, and other local fans of the show. Sweet.
3: Where should listeners go to donate?
2: They can visit bythesound.net and click on the donate button that's bythesound.net or go directly to patreon.com/bythesound. That's p P-A-T-R-E-O-N a t r e o n.com/bythesound.
1: I think one of your questions was like, where's the organizations? And I'm like, there are. But TJ is not something that really can exist within a legal framework because it's pretty much created by and for people for whom the law doesn't serve. And it's creating community-based alternatives that don't rely on the legal system because the legal system just would be like, wait, what? You want to do what? <laughs> you know, that's – no. I believe
2: we, my question was yeah. how people get paid.
1: Oh, they don't. Um, well, I mean, it's interesting. I think that's starting to change – I mean, it's a good question. I think that for years, um, all of this was community-based, and um, there's this quote, this really beautiful quote that somebody from Kara had. That's at the opening of the revolution starts at home, where she's like, "I," she's like, "I wanted," which I'm paraphrasing, but she said something like. I just want there to be so many people walking around with skills of intervention and de-escalation and harm reduction that we don't have a need for anonymous hotlines anymore. That like, and and for a long time, kind of out of that way of thinking of it, it was like, everybody needs to develop these skills. Everybody can do this, right? Because that's how big the problems of violence, abuse, and harm are, right? And I still believe that. I think that one place that a lot of us are coming to, which I personally am coming to, is like, yeah, I think everybody can develop skills of like learning how to de-escalate a fight or conflict, um, healthy relationship skills, supporting survivors in your life, supporting yourself. I think that the skills of somebody who's uh, head mucking and mucked in this community organization is a history of sexually harassing young women. I think that, like, the skills to go into that situation and, like, do a, like, needs and threat assessment and, like, ta- you know, organize people to hold that person accountable, organize people to hold the survi- to support the survivors, like, figure out, like, a 13-step plan. That's actually highly skilled and not everybody wants to do that or is, like, yeah, that sounds like something I'm good at. So, um you know, but the short version is, like, I think for years, like, we all just did this for free. You know, we, we just were like the people who get the phone calls in the middle of the night and be like, Okay, yeah, I know what it's like to have to do a two AM phone call to a semi stranger because of your situation. I'm here. And for me, I just, you know, have worked different jobs. Um, I used to work at a you know, run by women of color and working class white women, but still more traditional rape crisis hotline. And then I left to be a writer. And I just was like, this is like community organizing that I'm doing for free. And I find other, I have other gigs that pay for this and my writing and my artwork. Um, I know some people who are like, yeah, I've done this for a while. I'll take some money if you want me to come in as a consultant on your process. Um, And there's been different organizations that at times have been able to get some grant money. Um, I'm thinking of things like Creative Interventions, which um, was a project started by Mimi Kim and Rachel Herzing, where they were like, for 10 years, they're like, we want to collect the stories that are happening right now in real time of people who are intervening without the police, even and especially if they're not perfect, right? And like, have those stories out there as possibility models for people to like discuss and think about and push back on. So like, I think they got some money to be doing that work. I think, like, there's different organizing projects. Like, I'm thinking in the Bay of, like, the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective. Like, I think the folks who work there, like, there's some foundation money. Um, You know, there's been some attempts at nonprofitization and there's been some attempts at consulting. But there's also a lot of people who are like, I'm just doing this for free a lot. Like, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I was just reading, um, I feel embarrassed to say this, I was reading Yes magazine and one of them was, it was this article with this woman um, Sharon Fernandez who was a Nazi in her youth and then actually got brought out of it and a lot of her community or is in work now she's white um, you know I think she's that's her married name or whatever but she's like yeah I reached out to, I see you know white nationalists supremacists people on the internet and I just reach out and I start a dialogue mm-hmm. and my work is radicalizing them by because she's like I remember when I was a fucked up 18 year old who was just really angry I was survivor. I'd been raped at a party and then I got into punk and then I migrated towards the most angry people there and they were Nazis. And I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And then she was like, what brought me out of it was like, I stayed at a friend's house and her aunt actually saw something in me and built a relationship with me. And then I was like, wait, I don't want to do this anymore. So she's like, I'm trying to de-radicalize these guys because a lot of them, she's like, what they're doing is completely fucked up. What I was doing was fucked up. She's like, I did violent shit. I threw a fucking gas, like a, I think she has a story where she's like, I threw tear gas in a gay bar and locked the door Mm -hmm. one time. You know, Mm. right. And she's like, but she's like, I reached out to these very angry young white men and I de-radicalized them. And she was also, and she's like, most of this is unpaid work. So I think that that is a good question is like, I think it's challenging because like, I think that, you know, for a lot of people, like there didn't used to be rape crisis centers where you get paid to be a rape crisis counselor before second wave feminism. Mm -hmm. And I think that one thing it's important to lift up is like, I think a lot of the modern transformative justice movement came out of and was happening at the same time as, like, people around Insight, Women of Color Against Violence, were like, wait... This whole professionalization of domestic violence and rape crisis work is actually making it so that a lot of, like, rape crisis centers and DV centers are in bed with the cops. They believe believe in, like, more policing will work. It's very much like a white, cis women's law and order agenda. It's in touch with professionalization. So we kind of went in this direction of, like, we can't do that, so let's just not get paid. And I think it works to a point because I do think the more of us develop these skills, the more we can be, like – it is true that, like, mostly people disclose to someone they know often, yeah. you know. So then if you can be like, hey, what can I do to support you, you know, if it's a survivor and support you and hold you accountable if it's someone who caused harm, that is something that's useful. And I also think there's, like, an edge where it's like, yeah, and, like, is there a way that some of us can get paid for our labor on this? Um, even a little bit, if mm-hmm, that makes sense. For and sure. one thing um, I want to shout out the API Chaya, which is um, yeah. an organization here is doing, is there, I mean, and this came out of, they were like, yeah, you know, we have people all the time calling us being like, I don't want to go to the cops. I'm a survivor. Do you have people who can help me do a transformative justice process? And they were like, we don't have enough people on staff to do that. But what they did was they have a program that just started where they were like, we asked for people who are in different communities in Seattle who have some experience with transformative justice, but who, for the most part, did it with no support or mentorship to basically get in this program and have a chance to, like, build relationships with each other, get skills skills they get paired up with a mentor and the mentor and them both get stipended mm. and it's not like it's not like 40,000 a year like but it's just like but I was just like as an old head I was like wow if we get something yeah. for our collective neighbor that enables it to keep going because otherwise yeah. people are like shit this is just hard I
3: think of transformative justice simply as restoring forms of community that have been um, disrupted by capitalism and I don't think that being in community needs to be monetized I do think that femmes should be paid for their labor (laughs) yeah Uh, but I think that it gets a little complex when we're talking about this Sarah. Chelsea. When you say that By The Sound is a community-invested podcast, what does that mean for me?
2: Um, you're getting paid, Chelsea. I'm getting paid? Yeah, and so are Aisha and myself. We value people's time at By The Sound, and we know that rent isn't cheap here in Seattle.
3: So, what did our donors get out of this arrangement?
2: Well, the more donations we receive, the more episodes we're able to produce. Their support also funds our activities to build our local By The Sound community. This is another way in which we're becoming a community-invested podcast. Cool beans. How can listeners donate? They can visit ByTheSound.net and click the Donate button. That's ByTheSound.net. Or they can go directly to Patreon.com slash ByTheSound. That's p a t r e o n dot com slash by the sound. Hi, hi,
3: hi. I'm just soaking it up. That's, good. That's so good. Changing the world, yeah. <laughs> changing, well, we're all changing the world.
1: We're all changing the world.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Speaking of change, what kind of city would you like to see <laughs> Seattle become? <laughs> oh my
1: God, um, one where all the white people leave. Um, <laughs> no, I mean seriously. <laughs> oh no, we'll oh, oh wow, I will get death threats now. Great. Um. I moved here four years ago and um, had lived for most of my life in like majority black and brown cities and, you know, kind of moved here after being displaced from Oakland where I lived for seven years because of gentrification and Google. And I had friends here, you know, I, you know, I got displaced and moved back to the East Coast and I was like, fuck, I miss the fucking ocean so much, you know, and, and then I had friends here and it kind of seemed like a place where you could do like punk of color disabled retirement. Like I had friends who were like, I bought my house in Beacon Hill. There's a ramp. And I was like, that seems nice. Yeah. And, you know, I had a friend who was like, get ready to be surrounded by white people wherever you go. And I heard all the things and I was like, no, no, like when I visit, I'm in the South End. Like I hang out with y'all. It's cool. And then I got here and I was like, oh, fuck what I do. Not just because I was like, oh, I've never lived in a majority white city in my life. Well, I mean, Worcester growing up, and even that was so different. Yeah. So different, you know. Um, um, and then I was here and I was like, oh Jesus. And then I came right when the push out was really in its full swing. Mm-hmm. So what that meant was I was like, okay, so this has been a majority white city since it became a city. But so there's been like, but there's been really vibrant communities of color, but they've been like smaller than saying like Oakland, Brooklyn, wherever. And now it's like, oh, here we all go. We're like, we're all being pushed to like, can't rent and fed way, like whatever, whatever. And you know, and for me, it's been interesting. It's been challenging because I was like, okay, I'm here. I'm new here. I'm not trying to insert myself. Seattle's full of secrets. Um, Seattle didn't let you in. And then there were just a lot of people who were like, yeah, no, you're new here. Fuck you. Like, we're very protective of existing black, indigenous and POC communities, which I get, you know, but I was just kind of like, shit, man, like, all right, I guess I'll just stay in my house. Um, I mean, it's just been pretty hard for four years. This shit I'm really grateful to here. But this is a hard fucking place. Like, I mean, you, you already know. I mean, like, people keep leaving because they can't take it. Black and brown people keep leaving because they can't take it. Um, then you've got, you know, and I say this as a light, bright person, you've got, like, light, bright nation that some of whom are like, what, it's fine, liberalism. And I'm like, that's not what I grew up with. Like, I grew up as the light-skinned cousin who hates my white mom. Like, what is this shit? Like, no. And then you've got people who are like, hey, we're so protective of what's left. Like, we don't really have room for newcomers, which I'm like, absolutely. Um, So I guess, I don't know, like, often when I'm in Seattle, like we were talking about before, I'm like, I feel really sad. I'm just like, there's been really, really dope shit here. And it's so being displaced and just papered over. So I guess I would say, like, I would want a Seattle where... You know, somehow, like, a bomb drops on Jess basis' balls and, like, you know, clears it <laughs> out. I hit the mic, sorry. And, like, where, you know, communi- where the Central District gets to be for black people, again, where, you know, okay. it just clears out Uncle Ike's and Condo Nation and where there's affordable housing again mm-hmm. and where, you know, some of the things that I – on a good day when I love, part, when I'm like really in my Seattle love and the three months where the sun's out and the smoke is not, I just think about things like Black and Tan Hall, you know, which yeah. I'm not sure what's happening now. But there was a minute where I was like, especially coming from Oakland, where it just was like, nope, everything's being just, de- like everything's just being destroyed. I was like, that's happening here too. But I look at like Roberto Maestras, you mm-hmm. know, that housing development or Black and Tan or different things like that. And I was like, okay, there's been initiatives here where Black and brown communities are like, we're going to take up space and like buy houses housing and like build stuff or like the station but or the station yeah exactly like the station things like that where I'm like that gives me a lot of hope like I would like a city that's all of that And what that would take, I think, is like enormous reparations and, you know, um, accountability process of the city of Seattle to the Duwamish Nation, to black communities, to brown communities, you know, all of it. It would mean that Durkin gets kicked out, you know, and goes and lives in a hole somewhere or something. (laughs) Oh, here's the death threats. And, um, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. And, like, it just – it's really challenging because – you know, it's like every time like I've talked about Seattle, I'm like, I don't wanna I don't want my pessimism, you know, and my like God, this is hard to come across like I'm negating like, you know, the four amigos and like all the generations of activism that's here that's really real. And also like this is always like I mean, Washington's a white settler colonial project, as is Oregon. So we need to just address that right. and like give back most of the country to the nations or the land to the nations and have us have our neighborhoods again. I mean, Honestly, I'm like, well, yeah, maybe we just abandoned Seattle and we just really continue to make Fedway rent and, and you know, can't work, mm-hmm. you know, and Tacoma and everything. But I don't know. I mean, I just like, yeah, I want, I, I mean, I guess the simple answer is like rent control, justice, tax Amazon, no, no youth jail, like support the South End, support the North End, you know stop the displacement um I think it would have been like if Nikita Oliver had won two years ago that would have been a Seattle yeah, like you know we were all like that was kind of like the last stand we were like yeah. please get the last point three percent to save the city and when she was running she was like I'm running because if I don't win none of us will be here in two years and in many ways like some of us are still here and a lot of us really aren't you know either we left or we're just like we're right at the edge yeah. you know like um like, my friend was visiting, you know, and was just like, where do the black people live in Seattle? And I was like, "Um, uh, there's no one neighborhood anymore outside of Rainier Beach and yeah. parts of Shoreline. And that's really heartbreaking. And the CD is really heartbreaking. Like, again, not to negate black communities are still there, but, like, to go from majority to, like, one out of ten. They in know. Like, They know. I mean, yeah. I'm just yeah. like, this is just, like, this is horrible. So, um... I guess like it's kind of a two-parter where I'm like, I want us all to come back and more than before, but I also, I'm just like, well, I guess maybe we all just move to Pittsburgh. I don't know. You know, like I, maybe we leave the coastal cities to the floods and let it take the white Amazonians with them. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's too simple an answer because obviously there's a lot of our communities that can't afford to move and that are here and that want to stay here because they're like, I fucking fought for this place or it's my traditional land or what have you. I'd like Seattle to be a city where, um, you know, you can have POC yoga without death threats from white nationalists. I mean, (laughs) That was my, I got here. I've been going to POC yoga for the whole lifetime of my adult life going to yoga classes. Like, you know, Toronto, (sighs) Oakland, New York. And then I was like, oh, POC yoga. And I was like, it cut Death, Death threats. threats, yeah, and that's how we met. How we met. Then people are like, you want to be on the secret email thread? And I was like, what the fuck? Where did we move? I like, know. This is I was it's so surreal. Fucking, I was went from Queens to this in like, liberal was,
0: fucking Seattle. I put that in quotes.
1: Seattle. Liberal, that happened. And then I, you know, part of what brought me is I briefly had a job at U Dub, running the D Center, the Students with Disabilities Center, um, and that was a real eye opener. Not just in terms of you fucking Dub, where my boss's secretary day one is like your name's too long to fit on the business card what part do you want me to chop off and I was like no. bitch it's called Times New Roman 8 <laughs> you know and then she starts telling me she's like, oh I have fibromyalgia too and tells me this racist ass story about how she's like yeah you know my husband we went to Japan after World War 2 and I had these two little twin blonde baby girls and the Japanese wanted to eat them and that's why I have <gasps> fibro and I was just like what? you think you can say this to my face and then talk about gardening and I was like wow Seattle's a fucking trip because like they will nice white lady you to death here with shit like that and then be like oh sorry oh you're so mean I'm shaking you know and I was just like this is some backstabbing bullshit you know like where i'm from i'm like i mean like oakland's i mean the bay area has the bay area bullshit but like there's more like when bullshit happens people know what's happening whereas here i'm like they'll nice you to fucking death well gaslighting's an art form here gaslighting is a fucking art form here, here. it's more yeah. it's
0: worse than anywhere i've ever yeah. lived. and people get super offended at me when i say that but i'm like no it's true i've lived in five different fucking states and three different countries it is a thing here that is unparalleled i've not seen it anywhere else quite as widespread individually yeah. sure like w- you know but but this is a cultural no
1: it's really cultural and i'm just like and i'm like is it because the white people here are all norwegian you know it's not even italians here the same way like i'm like i'm from the east coast like i know to deal with racist white people but like irish and italians in new england will just get you will just tell you they'll just be like yeah we want to beat you up you know and then you're like at least they're very clear about the racism Uh. racism. they don't pretend they're not they won't just like give you like a little thin faint smile and just like say something horrible and then be like what why are you upset? Right, what? Exactly. Oh. Do you want a scone? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you <laughs> so, like, so
0: difficult? Why are
1: you so difficult? Why are yeah. you so
0: angry? Why are you so angry?
1: <laughs> Why are you so loud? Like, I'm sorry, what... Yeah, and the thing that really kills me is, like, is I, it's the first place I've run into where POC can be like that, too. And I'm just mm. like, oh, my God, what is – I'm like, where someone's like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, no, I just said, yeah, that cafe is racist. We should boycott it. I just used, like, direct language. I'm yeah. like, what? <laughs> like, I'm just saying what I think. You should say, do you think something else? And she's like, you're being so argumentative. And I'm like, no, I'm just saying words that mean what they mean. <laughs> they do mean different things. They too. do mean different things, yeah. words. Yeah. Really? Yep. So yeah.
2: So the revolution starts at home uh-huh. was mentioned on today's show. Uh-huh. Our listeners can hear more from another contributor to that book, Shannon Perez Darby, yep. who is on episode seven of By the Sound. You can learn more about Leah Lakshmi Piepshna Samarasingha. At brownstargirl.org.
1: And I just want to say, um, you can check out Beyond Survival, Strategies and Stories from the Transformative Justice Movement, co-edited by Jaira Stixson and my, moi, myself. Um, basically, anywhere books are sold. Um, there's an e-book. There's not an audio book yet. Um, it's published by AK Press. So you can buy it wherever. And, um, yeah, um, we have a... We have a we have a we don't have a website. We kept saying we were gonna have a website. If you look up Beyond Survival twenty twenty, that's a hashtag, and we have an Instagram and a Facebook. And
2: yes, and, that is uh, what it is. We uh, put that in every book mentioned uh, in this interview in the show notes. Oh, very cool, Leah Lakshmi. Thank you very much.
0: What are you grateful oh, for?
1: Oh my fucking god! What is this? Thanks fucking give. Sorry. So
0: I'm grateful for having gone. I'm grateful that we went to Black Boys yesterday oh, last night. How was it? Oh my! It, I I don't think there are quite words to describe wow. how powerful and visceral and beautiful and moving and raw it was. Jay Mace, Danny Terrell, Ben Hunter. There was just um, a whole long list of folks who, uh, celebrated and affirmed black masculinity, trans masculinity, Mm -hmm. black queer. Um, and then, uh, they lifted up the names of, uh, black men, women, queer, trans folks who were murdered by the state. I mean, it was raw and it was probably one of the best Valentine's days I've ever spent in my entire life. So is I'm there more super... showings or is
1: it just
3: this on the was one? They
0: no, oh, not shit. this year. Okay. But I imagine it'll come. It's maybe somebody said it was the fourth time they've done it like yeah. ever. Um, so I am really grateful to Joe Maluo for posting about it, and that was the second I got tickets, and I'm glad I went. Shalma, Shalma, Shalma. Chelsea, what
3: are you grateful for? Um, I'm grateful for uh, my favorite tattoo artist Roach, uh, who can be found on Instagram at X-R-O-A-C-H-E. Roach is a stick-and-poke apprentice. Uh, He's apprenticing under uh, Mackenzie Porritt, who's also a a wonderful tattoo artist. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, like, the ways in which I have uh, come to more fully inhabit my own body in the last year, and... Uh, getting tattooed by Roach has been part of that. Um, also, I just really like hanging out with him. He's a sweet, funny, smart person. Uh, he knows a lot about horses. Uh, so shout out to my homie Roach.
0: Sarah, what are you grateful for?
2: Um, I'm grateful that I can still afford to live in Seattle yeah. uh, and that I'm able to, because of that, keep my sons in uh, a really great school where they're, um, in in one case, able to get excellent special education that a lot of people in this country pay a lot of money for in private schools. They're able to get in the public schools here. So uh, it's nice to be able to afford my apartment. Uh, it's no small thing. It's a big deal.
1: Grateful for coffee, the period when the sun came out. That the sun does come out in other places. Hmm. Um, The ability to visit California two weeks ago and be like, ocean, sun, flowers, smiling people. Yeah, not on fire right now. Um, Also stable housing. Yeah, um... I'm grateful that I'm going to go pick up the comic book Safer Sex, SFSX, which is made by sex workers, and it's about a dystopian future where there's a um, fascistic, um, also anti-sex white political party called The Party um, that takes over and all these like rebel sex workers that are fighting against it. It's really cool. Yeah. Where are you picking that up? Um Phoenix Comics. Cool. I have a box. Yeah. I love
3: a box. <laughs> yeah. So like
2: like the handmaid's tale but uh, graphic
1: yeah, Handmaid's Tale, but with, like, sex workers of color as, like, the heroines, which I guess the Handmaid's Tale is a little bit, but like, then they don't have, like, the whole, like, dress in red, getting gang, rape thing. It's they, There's actually a shot where, like, all of the party couples, look like, when they hug, they, like, don't touch genitals. They, like, lean their crotches back <laughs> just like this, because, like, no. And, like, I think all of the gowns that one can buy are, like, um, maxi length. You know?
2: and, and it's a graphic novel? Yeah,
1: it's uh, a comic. But, well,
2: yeah. Comic. Okay, yeah. well, well. Yeah. Have it in the show notes. Yeah, that's great. Cool. This has been By The Sound, <laughs> your community-invested podcast. By The Sound is an Ahoy hoy media production. Ahoy hoy.